Hey everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Liberation Bible Study. Welcome to a special backlog bonus episode. As you may know, we host our conversations live on More Light Presbyterian's Facebook page on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. We started going live on Facebook just one week into our COVID-19 lockdown in March of 2020, but I never released those episodes on the podcast with everything else going on. However, I want to make sure those conversations are included in the podcast too. So I'll be releasing a bonus episode of content recorded the same week just one year ago. While some of the context may have shifted, the liberation possibilities from scripture remain the same. Please enjoy. So, hey, everyone who's just tuning in, uh, welcome to Liberation Bible Study. This is a place where we reconnect to the deep roots of resistance and liberation that biblical texts offer. I'm your host, Alex Patchen McNeil, and in this uh, Bible study, we feature conversation partners who bring an intersection of identities as LGBTQIA folks, people of color, activists, theologians, pastors, and you name it. Today, we are going to continue our interactive conversation to include those of you tuning on in on Facebook. So hello. Um, we welcome hello. additional reflections in the comments if you're watching live with us. But wherever you are and whenever you hear or watch this conversation, I hope it can offer you a moment of respite and reconnection and space of spiritual nourishment here to fuel your well of resilience. And so this week on Liberation Bible Study, we like so many Christians are journeying through Holy Week, and today I have the pleasure of reading a portion of the Good Friday text. I am so thrilled to welcome Jessica Vasquez-Torres, one of my personal heroes in the work of organizing and training for racial, gender, and sexual justice, and today we're going to be reading a portion of the lectionary text for Good Friday, John 19, 16 through 30, through the theme of endings. So, yes. Jessica, we get to bring you more fully into the conversation. And I would love for you to say a bit more about who you are, introducing yourself with your pronouns, your work and identities, because we know that uh -huh. these are always with us when we start to read uh -huh. these. Yeah, so hi everyone. Uh, my name is Jessica Vasquez Torres. I, um, I, I'm Puerto Rican. I think of myself as a 1.5 generation immigrant, uh, Puerto Rican descent. I call myself Latina, having lived in the United States for um, two, well over two-thirds of my life. Um, I married currently uh, sheltering in place in Decatur, Georgia, like so many of us are in our respective households and trying to figure out how do we continue to do work while also living through and experiencing uh, a global pandemic. And I work for a small nonprofit called Crossroads Anti-Racism Organizing and Training, where I am one of two national program directors uh, helping collaborate, partner with institutions, organizations, as they try to create uh, and build the work of equity uh, with the aim of really transforming our world and restoring our creation. And so that's what I do when I'm not talking with Alex and hanging out in Facebook Live and uh, engaging uh, with some Bible studies. So it really is good to be with you and really very much looking forward to our talk. Yes, thank you. Um, and as you know, I'm Alex Patchen-McNeil. My pronouns are he, him. 
and um, I serve as the executive director of More Light Presbyterian. So I feel very lucky that I get to uh, have these conversations and call it work um, because it's certainly something that's been fueling and feeding me in these uncertain mm -hmm. times. Um, I am white and identify as a transgender man. Um, and I live in North Carolina, um, kind of <laughs> close enough to Georgia where we're all trying to um, navigate <laughs> crisis together and watch yeah. the ways governments have handled that. Um, yes, or not, or not handle or not. that. That would be, <laughs> or not. Yeah, but I'm really- And by the way, I forgot to tell you, she, her, hers are my pronouns. And I Good don't job. know if I got that in. Um, I'm excited for us to, to dig into Good Friday as much as you can be excited about Good mm. Friday. Um, I feel like it's an appropriate moment to really be sitting with mm -hmm. for us. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's a good chance to go into our first reading and, and the way we do the format through Liberation Bible Study is a Lectio Divina with a twist. Um, the twist is the kinds of questions we ask ourselves as we read. But the yeah. first question is very familiar to those who practice Lectio Divina, which is to read through the text and, and see what jumps out. What do we notice uh -huh. that maybe we hadn't actually paid attention to before? It's, exciting mm -hmm. to see where the conversation goes. So Jessica, I invite you to read uh, John 19, 16 through 30, as we know this yes. context. So here is the reading of the word. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him, two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write, the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what have I, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves and for my clothing, they said they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sisters, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The word of God. Thank you. I'm curious as you read it through just now, Jess, what stood out to you? 
in this passage. You know, it's interesting. I When I started talking with you as we were preparing, I said, you know, I so dislike this gospel. Uh, it's actually my least favorite of all the gospels. I tend to be a, a Mark person, tend to be very drawn to the, the way that the writer writes. But the thing that always strikes me about the John narrative of, of, the, of the death of Jesus, it's, it's all of the relational stuff that's happening in this, in this passage, right? The, and I'm thinking of relationship of, of people to geography, relationship of people to titles and words that are written, relationship to objects, right? Like the, 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 the tunic and relationship between like spatial relationships, people at either side, and then the relationship of Jesus to the people that are there for him, right? Mm -hmm. His mother, Mary Magdalene, his mother's mother, right? So like, I'm really struck by the ways that relationships are, are manifesting themselves in this very short and brief uh, narrative of what's happening uh, in these last moments. Those mm -hmm. are the things that always strike me when I read it. Yeah, I, that's really interesting because I think a lot of times when we talk about a day like Good Friday, it's very mm -hmm. focused on on Jesus as an individual sometimes mm -hmm. and like what he mm -hmm. has gone through and mm -hmm. what he is giving up. And mm -hmm. this text invites us to see some of the relational chaos almost that's mm -hmm. happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And much like a real, I mean, you know, when many people we know die, there's a lot mm -hmm. of relational things that get brought into the mix. Mm -hmm. One thing that kind of related to that you know, we were kind of exploring this text through the theme of endings because uh -huh. when I was reading through it earlier this week, noticing all of the, the like, there's like a lot of tidying up that's yes. being done. Like we're, we're gonna we're gonna make sure this is checked off and this <laughs> is checked off and this is checked off, which is- To quote the scripture, to fulfill the scripture, to like write all these like ding, ding, ding. Yeah, which, and I think the thing that came up to me in that is like just a recognition of how few people get that tidiness at the end of their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is actually one of the things that I, I it's one of the things that I don't don't uh, ever feel drawn to this narrative because I, I don't, one of the things that I love about Mark, right, is like, well, he's not here. <laughs> like, go, good luck. Right, and like, here is John who's like, Oh, and this scripture is fulfilled. And it's like, it feels like a bad novel almost. Like, um, like, and so it makes you do wonder for whose audience this is and what do people need? Why do we need endings to be tidy? Why do we need endings to come with, with order, with fulfillment? And what, how much of this is really about the reader needing to have something solved for them or resolved for them? Uh, that when, when, that's really so often not what happens in, in an ending of life or in an ending of relationship, right? I, you know, I, I, you can't help but think about the times we're living in and, and this uh, pandemic and how many people are losing family members and loved ones and none of this closure is a part of that, right? None of this tidy ending, none of this fulfillment of last words are, are wrapped in the story. And so there's a a piece of it that feels a little artificial, and yet it is what we all hope for, right? We all hope for that opportunity to say, mother, here's your son, please take care of her. We long for the opportunity to, to have the right words that whether we are the words that we will claim or not, because I think that's the other piece that's so interesting about the fight over the inscription, 
Mm. Is that what Jesus would have said about himself? Certainly is what Pilate wants to say about Jesus. And it's certainly not what the religious leaders feel should be said. So all of that struggle for the right words being said at the right time about this person also seem part of that quick and that, that necessary desire to tidy up the end. Right. It made me wonder how, how many times we unwittingly participate in something that's an ending because in the text, you're almost observing, mm -hmm. Jesus mm -hmm. observing and making meaning of what he's seeing unfold. Like you're kind of in Jesus's head a little bit. Um, if, yeah. you, if this were a different way of narrating story, I imagine an author would be like, mm. he saw this, then he saw that. And mm. am I conscious of times when I'm, when yeah. I'm part of someone's ending for something? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I the uh, your question then has me then wondering about the generations uh, that have reflected upon that ending that are representing in the telling of this ending, right? So also, what happens to endings over time, yeah. right? Like what what do we add and what do we leave, right? So both the consciousness, like how aware am I of an ending, or is that something that I hindsight gives me that I participated on it, right? That, I, oh, I, oh, had I known that that's what was happening, I may have, I would have, I could have. But I'm also wondering, having heard your, your reflection, Alex, about the generations represented in the telling of this ending. Yeah. So that what is it that we choose to remember and what do we forget? And why do we, why do we tell the things we tell? Why do they matter to us to tell the things that we tell? from generation to generation so that by the time we get to John, this is the things that John wants us to remember about this thing that was passed on to from generation to generation to this writer, yeah. right? Like, so why these are the things that are worth noting for us, the reader today, right? Through time. Mm. Mm. Which, gosh, just thinking about endings I've been part of, mm -hmm. there's like an anticipatory ending. I mean, just even thinking about something as simple as like when I moved away for to, to go to college, mm -hmm. right? Like what an ending that was anticipated, like this day <laughs> shall come and- You like, will leave. <laughs> I will leave and everything will be different. And like my family got a flat tire in our minivan on the way down to <laughs> the university. And like, who expected that to happen? The actual moment of the family, like who mm -hmm. thankfully could help me move into my dorm first year mm -hmm. of college, walking out the room, you know, in that moment, it's hard to experience the bigness of it. You're like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're just looking moment to moment, it's like, well, they were in the room and now they're not anymore. And here I am with my newly microwavable Easy Mac or whatever college food. Yeah, Easy Mac forever. <laughs> um, and, and in the living of it, it's almost like in the living yeah. of it, it feels like Mark in the retelling of it, mm -hmm. it gets to the place of John because you are adding layers of meaning, like experiencing that flat mm -hmm. tire was not so fun back then, but it's hilarious mm -hmm. now. Like we love to tell that story, a dark freaking mm -hmm. highway and the minivan loaded down with all of my possessions and um, wow, and, and the ways in which it's kind of taken on this family turning point of like, hey, we really banded together and like got the car to the gas station and whatever. But in the moment we were like cursing a little bit what was happening. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it makes me think about uh, as you were talking. I, I I really appreciated your thinking about how sometimes when we're living through something, it does feels like the briefness of something like the Gospel of Mark's telling of this bam 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 done to then John's sort of drawing out more elaborate, more granular, right? Like it's hundreds of years of people having to live with a story, right? And why it matter? What was worth remembering? Why do we need it to hear around that times? And I am remembering like the story of my leaving Puerto Rico, right? And moving to the United States. And like, if I were to think about the moment, it just felt like we got on a plane and we left and I'm sure we cried and all of that. But if like you just got on a plane and you left, right? You didn't, you're, you're a teenager and you're thinking this will be excited. And then you, and you look back, right? Like 32 years later, that the chronicle of that, the retelling of that moment, the emotions of that moment all become heightened, more meaningful. You, you spend so much time granularly thinking about every detail. Where did I sit? How was I wearing? What was I feeling? What were they doing with my things? What things arrived? What things got lost? Um, mm. Partings and comings and goings of people in your life. And so I, I wonder, I, you know, it makes me come back full circle to your comment. Whose perspective are we, are we reading here? And, and if, if we're reading, what was it like to be Jesus, like thinking of this human being in this grotesque way of dying? Uh, which is terrible and political and awful, but also with, like watching. <laughs> like, it's almost like John is having us pay attention to what is surrounding. And in some way, you're no longer paying attention to Jesus because there's all these things happening that you lost sight of this character whose life it is that's ending. So there is his ending life, all the activity around his ending of his life. And then what? Where do those or where does our attention go in the granularity of this detail here? Mm -hmm. Which like just to, I really appreciate that comment because I think it at the end of his life it gets back to these inter intercommunity relationships uh -huh, a little bit. Uh -huh. Like what he's yeah. concerned the most about is that the beloved disciples taken care of by his mother yep. that they can continue uh -huh. in, in the family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. That's revealing, I think, around yeah, kind mm -hmm. of some of the some of the importance of what matters to your earlier point of mm -hmm. why is John telling it this way? And mm -hmm. it's like all this political stuff is happening, and how do we mm -hmm. care for each other in in the midst of the heart? In the midst of that, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, like you could eliminate all of the infighting and the political nature that's happening in that exchange between religious authorities and Pilate who, right, are in like a massive struggle for power, um, right? And, yeah. and, and a massive struggle for power in an uneven power relationship, right? Because it's not as if the authorities and Pilate are, are equal in their power. One is obviously way more powerful than the other. And so it's, it's like having an argument with your occupier right, in many ways. Um, but that if you strip that out of this, if you took it out of the context and you were to boil down, where is the action for Jesus? Aside from the carrying of a cross, aside from the, like, the details that we are spared on the terribleness of crucifixion, like, wh wh when you draw out the infighting around it, 
um, you end up in this very poignant moment of, of saying, hey, mother, here's your son, son, here's your mother. Like, like please take care of each other, right? Please, yeah. please welcome each other into family home. Um, and it's not to say that all the other things don't matter, but it is to say when we take out the political context, there is something so moving about that, that exchange, right? Yeah. That interaction. Because it's almost Jesus making meaning of his own death. Like, uh-huh. let this not be in vain. Uh-huh. Let this not be uh-huh. not. Like, it was foretold, it needed to have, like, you know, all uh-huh. this, there's scriptural fulfillment, the the mistreatment uh-huh. I received. Um, uh-huh. You know, it, like, uh-huh. what is the greatest commandment? Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Mm. Yep. Yep. For sure. I wonder, I wonder if this is leading us into our second reading to think a bit about the ways in which the text calls us into resistance. And when we first started uh-huh. doing Bible study, um, we really think about resistance to empire and status quo. And I think over time, another form of resistance has emerged, which is noticing if there's resistance in ourselves. Like you said earlier, I really, really hate uh-huh. this text or hate John's uh-huh. reading. So that's an important site of noticing as well. Um, mm-hmm, and I would mm-hmm. uh, be happy to read it this round. And that would be great. Thank you. Try and pull up the Common English Bible, which I have on my Kindle, which sometimes doesn't. Awesome. Just to get us another point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And if not, I can probably come up with it as well. So this is John 19, verses 16 through 30 from the Common English Bible. Then Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus prisoner, carrying his cross by himself. He went out to a place called Skull Place, in Aramaic, Golgotha. That's where they crucified him and two others with him, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a public notice written and posted on the cross. It read, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Therefore, the Jewish chief priests complained to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and his sandals and divided them into four shares, one for each soldier. His shirt was seamless, woven as one piece from the top to the bottom. They said to each other, let's not tear it. Let's cast lots to see who will get it. This is to fulfill the scripture. They divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. That's what the soldiers did. Jesus's mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene stood near the cross. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. After this, knowing that everything was already completed in order to fulfill the scripture, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was nearby. So the soldiers soaked a sponge in it and placed it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When he had received the sour wine, Jesus said, it is completed. Bowing his head, he gave up his life. Mm 
As we listened for a second time, I'm curious, how does this text call us to resistance? And while we think about that, someone offered uh, in the comments asking about the beloved disciple who is called out in this text. You know, so the 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 first place of of resistance that I um, I encounter with this text, it's it's just it's historical misuse, right? The the ways in which John of of all the Gospels seems so uh, has lended itself uh, has been misused in in all forms of uh, anti-Semitic ways, right? Sort of this these people handing over, right? Without any, uh, often without any like deep understanding of what are massive political dynamics of occupation and oppression. And um, and so like, I, whenever I hear this text that I feel that resistance rising, the, the training in me as a, as a facilitator, as an equity person who's like, ah, oh, like this is just icky. Right and um, and yet I I am I understand enough about the dynamics that evolve with occupation with with militarization of your land with differences in power with the need to to create a control over threat uh, to defend your people and the people that that matter and to defend them against a incredibly powerful context to understand what might be going on. Why do we need to tell the story this way? Why do we need to like begin to struggle with what religious authorities do to be compliant with power? And so it's not that I don't see it, but at the, the first place of resistance, mm -hmm. uh, more than an invitation to be a resistor, I feel the resistance in me, right? And um, that bit it's 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 always immediate and so in many ways i have to work through that resistance to be able to find meaning in the text right it's one of the things that i'm i'm very mindful of absolutely yeah gosh a hundred percent um and it's interesting we had this question about the beloved disciple uh -huh. and as i was reading you know in in terms of the kind of queer history of the beloved disciple uh -huh. theologically. Uh -huh. I think uh -huh. because John is the, as a gospel is so vivid in detail, there's been uh -huh. a lot of ways to reimagine creatively queer identity. Uh -huh. within the, text. the beloved uh -huh. disciple has stood in for that. This time, as I was reading it, I really had a moment of saying, I'm glad they don't name the beloved disciple because I, in kind of maybe a cheesy way. I, I think that could be us. I think that uh -huh. that this text, and I think even that goes to the uh -huh. like we're in a we're reading this from a context of Roman occupation and a particular religious uh -huh. um struggle that was going on within that occupation. Uh -huh. And I think many people have taken the naming of Jewish practitioners within this text to blame a particular uh -huh entire religion um mm -hmm. and what actually i think it's more a universal of all religions have mm -hmm. figures within or many faiths have figures within them um to mm -hmm. 
who abuse power, who mm-hmm. persecute practitioners of that faith for their own gain. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if there's something in terms of resistance of like, actually the question is in what ways are we complicit in some of this mm-hmm. blaming? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a common theme for many of us who've reinterpreted the events mm-hmm. of Friday over the years, but mm-hmm. I, it really spoke to me in, in the beloved disciple too, around some of the ask of resistance. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. around like what are we paying attention to in some of these dynamics mm-hmm. um and there was a comment from facebook i just want to bring in from siobhan mm-hmm. um, uh who sees resistance in an unwillingness to tear up the clothes um mm-hmm. and, and our temptation to have it for ourselves like like mm-hmm. i want that you know, even in the midst of someone's pain and suffering, this is what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I, I, I would like to take that cloth for myself and then not. Yeah, it is. It's one of those places. I think that you know the the place that I, the place that I see some resistance and and going back to this, you know, this inner interchange between Jesus, Mary, and the beloved disciple. Um, I. Um, one of the realities of, I think, being a person of color who is queer is that I, in my particular history, this is just my very particular story, is that I, I spent so much more time of my life really thinking about my racial identity and my queerness in many ways was not a place where I put a lot of my energy. It was just, it was just who I was, and it wasn't a thing that I needed to have it read into the scripture uh, for me. And um, but one of the things about the beloved disciple, right? Whether the beloved disciple is a self-referential claim by John, the writer, the quote-unquote writer, whoever John is, for for a standing for all of us, right? All of us being the beloved, all of us, or if it's the representation for, or if it's that a particular relationship of a particular being to another particular being. But that the piece that feels so profoundly moving about resistance is that bit is that bit about uh, be household together, right? That be be family and household together, and and I think resistance in in the midst of such profound like devastation of the the, the devastation that human beings can create and wreak upon each other's lives, right? The the the, the just sheer violence of of a massively disturbing death, the violence that comes with controlling populations, the violence born out of fear of having a message be, represent a bigger threat for a community, right? Or for the authority of that community. That in the midst of all of that violence to have the, the directive, the words be, you know, be family to each other, be household together. Um, take each other in, care for each other, that in the midst of all of that, that that invitation shines so powerfully there. And that both from from queer history of of people who made family when family wasn't available, when family was unwilling, when family could not, when family holding on to narratives and falsehoods and misinterpretations uh, threw away right, uh, separated, dismissed, uh, that, that people formed family, created family, you know, forged and wove together family, uh, because that's what, that's what, that's what, that was resistance. 
in the yeah. face of not having it, right? <laughs> of, of weaving together a new thing out of profound violence. That to me, that is one of the places where resistance so powerfully, the invitation of resistance in this text, that invitation to be household, to yeah. be people together. Uh, not, not because you're biologically connected, but because you are people brought together by this profound love, uh, this commitment to being people together. I think it's yeah. one of the places of deep, deep, deep resistance in this text. Absolutely. And I think even back to Siobhan's point around the unwillingness to tear mm -hmm. up the clothes, I think there's a stark contrast there mm -hmm. of when, when you're sharing families in in queer ways or in in unique ways like there's an alternative economy like we keep we keep hearing about the god god's mm -hmm. economy jesus economy. and i think there's an alternative of economy that doesn't it isn't premising on dividing up and splitting up mm -hmm. it's about sharing mm -hmm. and mutuality and i think we're in a moment right now where that is very true um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, communities are caring for each other yeah. through mutual aid through Mm -hmm. like supporting different kinds of businesses. Um, I think there's ways, ways to model that in, in a lot of, in a lot of um, our world right now. You know, one of the places that I, you also see resistance, I, you know, in a, in a time where the, the power to reframe and to gaslight us all so powerfully is manifested daily I am mindful of these religious authorities' uh, challenge to Pilate that says, do not write that. That is, that's not what's going on here, right? That's, that's not exactly what is happening, right? Because, and, and you can almost sense a theological argument happening here, right? I mean, I, I happen, I'm one of those people, right? This is my own, my own study and my own reflection that, you know, I don't think of Jesus as a Christian, I think of Jesus as a Jew deeply committed to a, 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 a pushing against the ways that his particular religious community has navigated and dealt with and struggled in occupation and the ways that the, the dynamics of his particularity in the world of this Jewish people under an, on an occupating reign of multiple occupating uh, experiences have chosen or not chosen to remember the basics of their faith in the context right. of this. That's my particular read of Jesus. So I don't think of him as a Christian at all. I think of him as a Jew. And, and so I, I also understand that these religious authorities are also saying, don't, don't, make a theo don't make a cosmological claim about this guy because what, we're, what we have here is a political reality. We are in a political struggle. This is a political dynamic so don't make cosmological claims that are unfounded here this is a guy who claims something about himself in the context of this occupation and it, there is something important about that resistance um that that when power tells you something or wants to push something upon you and tells you something that we shouldn't believe that you know it's not true that actually obfuscates what is really going on here? What, what you know? And it, it, it's, it's unfair, and it is unjust, and right, and it is a, it is a massively violent act. It is still in a political context, and these people who are still have agents and are actors under oppression, under duress in this event, are also saying, "Don't rewrite history. 
don't don't gaslight the story into the future. And so mm. there is something significant there that I think for us and for me about what resistance also has to do. This this not allowing us to be seduced into the telling of a story, even this week, that obfuscates was actually happening in this text. Um, that we this is actually why I love Good Friday. And one of the things that I missed the most about moving to the United States is that we passed over, right? Like I in, in my country, Good Friday, you it was a significantly powerful thing to to be brought into this moment of ending, to have this thing that feels so tearing of a veil, right? The tearing of a reality, the, the bringing up of something so, so intensely, both yeah. cosmological and real, right? Cosmological for those of us who believe real in its, in its massive violence, right? So that to be brought down to this place of ending, but what we do in the US is we just jump over it, right? We do Palm Sunday, we do a little tenebrae at the end, we like cover the table and then nothing yeah. until next Sunday. And like we sort of whoop, pass it over, it's a little lump. And to me, what I do like about John in, in, in hindsight is how it doesn't let us forget that something really significant happened here that is worth our attention, that invites us into a different way of being. Yes, oh my gosh. Okay, so many things made me think of. First. I think, again, the prophet uh, um, Lin-Manuel Miranda on, in Hamilton, <laughs> the, the song, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. Uh-huh, yes, oh my God, yes. Uh, just, I just lay that before you. Um, because, uh -huh. you know, I think there's the experience of the event and then there's the, the way we tell, tell about it, talk about it, share uh -huh. about it, uh -huh. and that, that has the potential to change worlds, whether it's individual mm -hmm. or communal or revolutionary. Um, and so paying attention to who's telling the story, how they're telling it, where are we focusing the action, where are we focusing mm -hmm. the narration is so important. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and we've all read literature where they skip over the hard stuff it's yes cheap. they do and mm -hmm. um it's like oh it's like the hallmark movie version of conflict where sorry, i know hallmark. <laughs> sorry hallmark there's a movie in my amazon but no not sorry at all you people suck at this telling of stories there's a movie in my amazon prime i just found called christmas cupcakes and i'm like <laughs> That just sounds like an order that I would have delivered. Um, <laughs> it's like, that's exactly what Christmas is all about. Because just like all of our Christmases are Christmas cupcakes. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, the reality is we all do face death. And we all do face, uh -huh. uh, you know, in varying degrees, suffering and tragedy and chaotic, yep. messy moments. And I think that the way we make meaning about those and, and um, understand their implications are so critical for our ongoing community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and the, the, the piece about, 
Right, there's, there is something about um, the last bit here of resistance for me. It's those closing words, and they read so different in an NRSB than they do in the CEB, right? Like, because I think in the NRSB, the language is uh, gave up his spirit, right? And mm -hmm. in the CEB, is um, gave up his life, yeah. right? And um, there is something, you know, and the in the NRSB, the the death is I you know you just sort of release a spirit right you just let go of a spirit where in a in the CEB this idea of giving up a life feels so much deeper and so much costly so much more um, about the materiality of that right I'm giving up my life in this moment it's yeah. not just my spirit I'm giving up this material thing is being given up and and there is something. Um, about the resistance that comes with that conscious choice. Um, you know, and I, uh, in, in thinking about endings, I, I often think about um, what does it mean to have the agency to make the choice, uh, to walk the steps to, like, I think it's in the scripture somewhere. <laughs> this, is where, this is where I begin to show my, my biblical literacy. But I am sure in one of these gospels, there is something about pick up your cross and follow me, right? In one of these stories, uh, there is an invitation into this journey that that Jesus is walking, that Jesus is has endured, right? That crucifixions were commonly known. Crucifixions were not unique things. They actually happen in the daily existence, right? It's a, a massive practice uh, designed to, in fact, put, put down insurrection, to show cruelty as a way of ensuring from a political act, from a control act, to say, this is what happens to people who resist this. This is yeah. what happens to people, right? So that part of crucifixion, it is visceral, like it's, it's about the visceralness of showing to people what happens, of having you in the context of war be seen as an example. So it is meant to silence. It is meant yeah. to keep people from speaking. It is so that so that it's a terrifying, terrible experience. And um, and and to think about the the way in which um, the way, at least as John presents it to us, right? Or sort of this. The slow and not without fear and not without crisis, but with resolution to move step by step through this process into this moment, right? To enter into this moment. So that to, to, to have that word that says, uh, gives up his life, he gives up his life, right? I am, with, I am an actor in this, in this mm -hmm. play also. I have agency in this moment also. And um, so there's something really powerful about the, the kind of, the, the, the way in which the resistance that we see from this one man, right? Uh, however it is, whatever it is that he means to us and at any given time, that at least through the story, there is this action of walking ever so slowly, closely into this one moment. Yeah. Right? I am... And yeah, and I see in the in the chat, thank you, Siobhan, the kind of the kind of lynching that this is, right? We we talk about uh, it is about terror, and so how does one face terror? 
and what are the deep resources, the well of resources that are required to quick to know you to know the outcome, you know, to know that this is what's going to happen, and still take that step, and still make and face that moment. And I think there is something to be said there for resistance, not because I think we all need to be martyred. I I, I don't um, I don't believe that, but but what do we take? Of that, what is the invitation being offered us? What is the what is the lesson being learned there? Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's a a, a, mm. a bit of what about what was resistance in there, both about what I resist and do I have the do I even want like if faced with it, will I do that? Right? Will I just so willingly give up? Uh, and it's, so it's both the resistance to resist this moment and the resistance of choosing it when it's upon you. Right? I think yeah. it's that I don't know. There's a tension there for me that I. I and I think the stakes of what could be lost, your life, uh-huh. your liberty, um, uh-huh. particularly in a current climate, uh-huh. the stakes also reinforce the death dealing blow you can give to the system to uh-huh. say, no, in light of all of this, like even with all of this, we we're still gonna march in the streets. We're still uh-huh. gonna shut down the airports. We're still uh-huh. going to, yeah. Um, use our bodies to defend clinics um, and people uh-huh. walking uh-huh. into them. Um, yeah. And I think, uh-huh. you know, it both shows the depth of solidarity and mutuality between uh-huh. people who are showing up in those moments and uh-huh. communities that they're working with uh-huh. there. And I think, you know, systems can, in the face of that, see the consequences of acting against that community. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. I, I'm wondering if it's time to go to our third reading around. I know it feels like we're in that third reading moment. You're getting there. Should we? So should we return to NRSB, or do you want to try a different? Um, if you, I'm happy to return to NRSB, but if you have a third version, I'm fine with that. No, NRSB is okay. fine. So we're gonna read it and think and hear what vision for the work of liberation this text offers. So Jessica. So we return to a reading from the New Bystander Version, uh, John 16 through 30. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, But this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When a soldier had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now, the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to See who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. 
Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sisters, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing there beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Did you catch a vision for liberation as you read through the third time? <laughs> You know, there is, I, I go back to that interaction. I go back to that, um, that interaction with Matt, Mary and the beloved disciple and the, the piece about taking, um, no, I, I missed it the first two times, but this time when it says um, he took her into her home. And, and I think that matters because what we know about the politics of the time is that Mary had no status on her own, right? That her status as a being, as a person, um, was deeply connected to the status of the man on her life, right? Of the people who she was married to or the sons that she bore or the relationships that she had. And so there is something really powerful about that line that's followed. So he took her into her into his home from that day on, uh, which for me tells us something about the kind of going back to your comment about God's economy, um, Alex. That that whatever liberation looks like, it doesn't look like people living on their own for their own sake. People existing for their own benefit, people existing for their own clarification and their own the legitimacy of their own selves, but that it is about weaving communities where those who are all too often um, left without status, without state, without status, without community, without that place that legitimately attaches you to something, uh, find a way in. Um, so that that is the, the most of the of all the things that are here, that's one of them that immediately captured me for Absolutely. my imagination for what liberation uh, looks like, what liberation is um, requires mm -hmm. of us, demands of us. Yeah, I noticed in your reading that of at that time, around kind of to that to that moment, that the two of them were just standing there. Like, mm -hmm. did they know each other before? Had they interacted? Mm -hmm. We don't know, mm -hmm. but there's something about no their proximity to mm -hmm. each other that calls them into relationship. And mm -hmm. it made me wonder mm -hmm. where, where do I hear a sense of calling into mm -hmm. relationship that maybe I hadn't mm -hmm. identified for myself before. I think some of the most beautiful mm -hmm. community that crops up are with people that you're like, well, I never expected to be their friend. <laughs> um, or I, you know. Or, or have them be in my orbit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think we're in a moment where our very neighbors, the literal people mm -hmm. living before, are some people that we may not agree with in lots of ways, or, or maybe we do, but there's ways to care for people that we wouldn't have otherwise met unless we lived side by side or we're standing mm -hmm. side by yeah. side. And, um, yeah. 
I think that there's some, mm-hmm. some bit, like to follow your point, like a vision for liberation in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the um, one of the things I'm thinking about uh, a vision for the work of liberation. There is something. I mean, I am I am not a, a person that that sees liberation through rosy eyes. I think the work of liberation it's um, it's costly. It, you know, I, I think that particularly in a society like the ones we ha- like the one we have in the United States, where what's actually easiest is compliance. What's actually easiest is to go along, um, is to is to is to wrap yourself in a bubble of comfort. Uh, of your people being well, and as long as your people are well, then you are well, right? I mean, we we see that in our response to this pandemic that we are living through in this 2020 pandemic, right, COVID-19. You see our our response to hoarding, right? We we didn't shop so that others could have, we shopped so that we could have. We shopped so that our people could be well. I, I was most struck by uh, by people who hoarded like formula for babies, right? Like a completely perishable item. Um, like, but I'm gonna hoard it all because I need me and my baby to be okay. I need me and my babies to survive. Screw all the other babies. Me and my babies will be fine. And so I'm, I'm mindful of we we live in a society where this idea that we face the place of the skull um, is not something that is that is built into us. At least. For, for many people, that is not true. I think that if you're a person of color, I think that if you're queer, I think if you're a person with disabilities, you're constantly facing yeah. that climb to that place, right? Because so much of our life, whether it's the life we are living in my present reality or whether it is the life that others ahead of us who shaped us lived, Right, so that we carry in our genes the the trauma and that story lives in us. Um, we have a, a a memory, some form of a genetic memory of those climbs, and um, and some some of those climbs, some of that facing of that place of the skull, I think can give us resiliency, can give us creativity in this moment, but it doesn't it doesn't keep us a hundred percent from participating in the United States ethos of wanting to avoid that place. In fact, the story is that if we have done our good job and live our good moral life, that skull, that climb to the hill with the skull should never be our climb, right. should never be ours. That, that means we, we lived a good life. And so I, I'm, I'm thinking about then what does resistance look like when you are invited, when the, the invitation to, to imagine a world that has liberation, that is liberatory, in which I am free, may require climbing into these places of the skull um, to face to face things that we don't desire, right? To combat and to go against the grain of our society, which is no, don't fight it, don't go along with it, no, stand on the side and don't say a damn thing while these while these other people are being made to climb that climb. Right, just stay in your lane, and you will be okay. So the yeah. the I I I keep I keep looking at that line. He climbs, right? He went out, carrying the cross by himself. He went out, like so. Who was there? Who was watching? Who was saying nothing? Who was quiet? 
right? Like he's climbing this climb and where are the rest of us? Um, like, what are we doing? What are we thinking about? So I'm, I'm just mindful of the, the, inac the inaction in that one moment. And what is, it that, what is it that I need to begin to imagine to change that moment, to stop that moment, to intervene in that moment? Right, and how frightful, how a, how incredibly difficult that is mm. to break out of that. I'm struck uh, in, in what you just said about it's possible to live your whole life so afraid of that climb mm -hmm. that you will do anything and everything to avoid mm -hmm. it. You'll seek mm -hmm. comfort, sustenance, yeah. enough formula to make sure you never have mm -hmm. to. And yeah. There's something that Good Friday really calls us to, which is truly facing go back uh -huh. and yeah. sitting with it, sitting with the chaos, sitting with the ugliness, sitting with the like, if it calls us to resistance within ourselves of how betrayed Jesus was, like, you know, uh -huh. we get we get into a language of deserving in this country. Uh -huh. They deserve uh -huh. what they got. They they deserved it in either way, justice or or liberation. Mm -hmm. and reading this text you're like Jesus didn't deserve any of that nobody does um mm -hmm. no one like, yep. interrupt interrupt our complacency of like well mm -hmm. they're being sent to prison but they probably deserved it you know because mm -hmm. we're too afraid to confront our own mm -hmm. complicity and our own fear of mm -hmm. like that and I think yep. Friday is about confronting what would be the worst that could happen to our communities to ourselves yep no not no. from a place of martyrdom but like if if you if you if you see it then uh, yeah i i think like you're building up a muscle of resilience and resistance and towards liberation because you're like no i don't want anyone to have to suffer and die with this i don't, mm -hmm. I don't want our community mm -hmm. to be free um and i think it's about building a muscle i think liberate the work of liberation is about building an internal muscle against indoctrination against white supremacy against mm -hmm. um the lizard brain that says no just me 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 um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is a chance to really like do that really hard work of of um of practicing the exhaustion that this day causes yeah yeah and i you know and i i, I think about Maybe it's because maybe because I grew up in an occupied land, right? And maybe it's because I grew up in a land occupied by colonizers, mm -hmm. still occupied by colonizers. Maybe it's because I grew up in a place that people were poor, really, by U.S. standards, uh, where um, where illusions were constantly being presented as reality, uh, where fantasy was what was fed by politicians, uh, not to face. Uh, the brokenness that existed just beneath the surface. Uh, that that then Good Friday was a place where you could just say, no, this is the brokenness that is. This is what's real. This is what we are facing, right? And, I, and while I'm clear that I grew up with some terrible colonial theology and some terrible colonial Christianity that still has a grasp of, at often my imagination, certainly, the imagination of many Christians um, today of, of every ilk. I'm, I'm mindful that part of that, part of what makes seeing liberation in this text hard is that 
we don't have a Christianity in the U.S. that was meant for us to face this day. Like mm -hmm. that we've in fact constructed a religious life among Christians in the U.S. designed not to pay attention to Good Friday, to, to bypass it, right? Not to sit through, uh, particularly if you're a white Christian in the U.S., um, a white, the kind of white Christian that shows up for this workshop, for this, for this Bible study, right? Like if you're some progressive, liberated, like you emancipated yourself from some terrible theology that told you you were not worth it, that you probably are participating in a religious community that isn't spending any time thinking about this day, right? We passed it over. And, um, and, and we, we, we don't even, we didn't even do, we don't even often do the preparation to face this moment, right? Because I think that's the, the, the bigger context for me in thinking about liberation in this moment of this person's life in this Golgotha, in this hill of the skull, uh, where I am sure there are others already in display. So it's not as if you're climbing into this pretty place um, that is just, you know, this is where this is where my ending will come, and it'll be great. No, it's a gruesome, terrible place. Um, that that nothing in our pre in our pre Lent to this moment often prepares us to face this this hill, to face this climb, right? Like we give up candy and chocolate, um, <laughs> like and somehow that's gonna prepare us for the facing of the skull. So it does also. Uh, I, I I'm clear that what makes this imagination moment can be hard is that we haven't even prepared to imaginatively face it. That even our, our climb, the 40 days that climb us into prepare us for this moment are often so shallow. And I, I mean, speaking for my own self, right? So my solution as a Christian wasn't to come up with some robust Lent. My solution as a Christian was to say, this is shallow, I'm not doing it anymore, <laughs> right? Like, 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 so don't follow my example, maybe do something more useful than that. Um, I think one, one more thing, Alex, around, around the business of resistance. I'm still thinking about what Siobhan said on the chat earlier about this cloth, right? This, this moment and I, I've been, it's sitting in the back of my head and I'm, I'm sitting with it going like, oh, what is, what is happening with this cloth, right? Because on the one hand, it's about, let's not ruin this thing, right? Let's, let's not tear it. Let's preserve it. Let's conserve it. Let's use it differently. Let's, uh, and, but I'm also, they're also placing, casting lots on it, right? So I'm, I'm really, I'm really struggling. And as I, the more we've been talking, the more this, this insight from Siobhan about resistance in here, this noticing has been has been working on me. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm wondering where my imagination, where I've been called to have imagination, and thank you, Siobhan, for that, is really thinking about who are these people casting these lots, right? Because in the context of a Roman, right, if these are soldiers, if these are if these are people who are very low on the totem of humanity, right? That these are who ends up being soldiers, who ends up recruiting into military service, even then tended to be not the officers, but the low end people are gonna be people who don't have a lot. And so for them, the value and the need to scavenge to take care of their families, right? is a part of what's going on here. And so I, I, what is the imagination that is required that I'm invited into? as I think about their not tearing of this cloth, the preservation of this cloth, and, and, the, and the fighting over it via lots, right? Like what is going on there? 
And, and can, is there a way to reimagine the use of that cloth so that we can all benefit from it? Maybe that's the imagination part um, here. Like, um, certainly yeah. the not tearing is resisting something, but the not simply agreeing to collectively use it is missing something. So what's right. the, where is the catch that we are in there? What's the invitation for resistance there? Um, yeah. Of a shared economy, of a reimagined economy. Well, because I, I really appreciate you circling back to it because, and Siobhan for pointing it out, because as you were saying that, it made me wonder, like, they're treating this cloth better than they treated Jesus. Uh-huh, yeah. And they're not willing to tear yes. a piece of fabric, but they're willing to tear him. And mm-hmm. and I don't say they as an us versus them, but I think to oh, your okay. earlier point, put into a system where they were asked to dehumanize a human yeah. and value doing their job. a piece mm-hmm. of fabric because mm-hmm. perhaps it, it is really valuable. And they're like, shit, excuse me, we can't let this go. You know, we can't just throw this uh-huh. away. We can throw a human away, but we can't throw this away because, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. I think there's a resistance act of noticing when we're mm-hmm. fighting for the scraps and yeah. calling that enough and calling mm-hmm. our work done. Um, mm-hmm. yep. Yep. Instead of interrogating up the chain to say, mm-hmm. why are we here in the first place? Yeah, yeah. What, what values have we bought into? What needs reordering here? What, what, is, the, what is the thing that we should be actually choosing not to tear. Uh, yeah, yeah, certainly an invitation for a, re-imagin- a reimagination, a, a re, like an interrogation of what is it that I'm allowing to dominate my behavior and my actions and an interrogation of the values that I have bought into as a result. Yeah. Right, because yeah. certainly, certainly they knew to split everything else. So there's some sense that they are all benefiting, but then, then this tunic presents a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's too valuable to split. So then how do we deal with it? And what values we face with that? A, how do we know these are scraps, number one? And two, um, <laughs> where does our attention need to be redirected? Um, right. And I think those are those moments are in, like interruptions of the business as usual are moments to really interrogate what decisions are we making and why. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, we've kind of done the third reading and talked about vision for liberation. And I'm very comfortable not having a tidy one ever, but particularly on this day, I think that Mm -hmm. to me, some of the vision for liberation comes through the questions, through the noticing, through Mm -hmm. the seeing of the storytelling Mm -hmm. um, that you have to get through. Like the describing of the fabric as a stitched garment to me is like a metaphor of the stitched story and <laughs> and like we're kind of yeah we're i think we here it is i think we treat some stories as so precious that we don't want to unstitch them we don't want to look behind how they were created yes. and to me an act of working mm-hmm. towards liberation is not treating any one story as so precious i can't see what's behind the scenes mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I, I when I when I when I start when we started with this little bit of reflection, this third reading, I'm uh, in the second reading, words like resistance and liberation. I am I don't have for either when 
either one of those processes, do I think of them as rosy and easy? I actually think they are gut-wrenching and hard. I think they are worth it. I think they're worth our life. I think they're worth our energy. I think they're worth our time, but they are not easy. And that is in fact why, why so many people start and quit, right? Because you think that this work of liberation is gonna get me recognition and people will see me and you know, I'll have my own hashtag and my own account and my own Vimeo channel and my own YouTube channel and people will flock to see me and I'll, oh yeah, make millions of dollars, whatever, that's never gonna happen. We don't, we, don't, we don't live in that world. That's not liberation work, that's capitalism. And so like, so that the work of liberation, the work of, of taking the, the nameless and the stateless, uh, the work of, of, in, of stopping the machinery of death while it's happening, of interrupting it, the work of paying attention to what I'm dividing and why I'm dividing and what it's been made of me, Paying attention to like how how the 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 fight between authority and power and governance and and us as bystanders not actually interrogating what these figures struggling for power are talking about to to try and dominate the telling of a story neither of whom is right right like um, so that to me that's the work of liberation right the work of liberation is the work of intervening in those places the work of resistance is that work whether there's a camera or a youtube channel or a facebook link attached to it or not is actually quite inconsequential and and so for me i really appreciate this not you don't need to fix it you don't need to make it pretty this is a terrible event this is a yeah. terrible passage this is a terrible thing that's happening here and it's a terrible thing that is happening here that happens every day, right? That there are so many people who walk up a skull hill every single day that are, that are literally every single day either having their life be brought to an end or giving up their life in order to, to try and change some condition and, and some reality, some way. Uh, and maybe they're not thinking about it that day, but in, in the retelling of the story, that is what we will say about them, right? That is what we will name of them a hundred years from now. And so yeah. I think it's important not to try and make this, it's, it's why I struggle with the Christian story that wants to make this a spiritual moment. Mm. I, I don't want the crucifixion to be a spiritual moment. I want the crucifixion to be a very real and human moment yeah. that, that we can theologize it that we can talk about its implications a hundred years, 200, a thousand years from now, certainly that we have tried to write theology to make sense of it, yes. But this is about human brokenness and what it does. Yes. And so there's no need to make it tidy and pretty because it isn't tidy and pretty. Right, right. Mm. So. That was a word, thank you, Jessica. Um, <laughs> as we close our practice mm -hmm. uh, i offer for us to to think about what we'll be taking with us as a result of this reading and conversation is there something that we want to ah, yes mm -hmm. you know I, I am gonna take i am gonna take mary and the beloved disciple i um it is because i don't ever because, <laughs> because i have a practice of avoiding this gospel um, <laughs> wholeheartedly with great intent. 
Um, it's not a bit that you, it's certainly not a mark, right? It's it, at least I don't recall it being there. Um, it's a very unique moment. It's at this very powerful, poignant John moment of this beloved disciple that is woven through this text that comes to a head in this, in this incredible little exchange. I, I'm going to take what it means to, to, to take the stateless the voiceless, the, the people who are made, the people that this society so powerfully, uh, yeah, that we want to make invisible. What does mm. it mean to say they are our own? So that's, that's what I'm going to take. Mm. And I think I'm going to take a noticing of when I'm trying to tidy a story for my own mm. ends. Mm-hmm. And a invitation to continue the work of developing the muscle to sit with the mess and the chaos and the, mm-hmm. the challenge um and in particularly this week the in the midst of a moment in all of our realities that many people are trying to make a lot of meaning out of what is COVID-19 mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I don't need to learn the lesson today mm-hmm. but my presence mm-hmm. is required to stay mm-hmm. with it um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not rush to the ending, skip over the mm-hmm. the experience of it. And so yeah. practicing sitting, practicing being yeah. more than I think is my mm-hmm. comfort. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. Yeah, that's a good word. It's, it's so easy to try and make it better, find a silver lining um sometimes there isn't one yeah at least not right now right and the Mm -hmm. i think history shows the layers of the meaning the layers of our understanding Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. cause and effect of events in our lives Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you can't predict that in advance you can barely see it as it's happening and it's Mm -hmm. and there's a real value in the afterwards Mm -hmm. in the living and understanding of it Mm -hmm. You know, we you started by saying that we this was about thinking about endings, and I'm so mindful of um, so now speaking very much as a at this point a, a kind of you know um, Protestant middle like you know like a, what are we called a, a, and now I've lost all my words. Like a mainliner, yeah. Thank you. Like a mainline Protestant. Now speaking as a as a mainline Protestant through and through, uh, um, certain not one shaped here, not one who grew up here, but but one that that certainly inherited through colonialism a, a very specific mainline American white interpretation of of scripture and of the Christian story. And, um, and, and, and speaking as one who has, who left that place and came to live in this place, right? Um, but I, I, as I think about endings, we don't do endings very well in the US, but it's not our forte. We don't, uh, we're too triumphalistic to have endings, yeah. right? And so what we, what we do in the US is we need to recast it all the time as triumph. We need to make a victory. We, we need to, and, and, and our, our vehicle often for doing that historically is war, right? It's why we, it's why we frame everything as war. It's why our current president names 
himself a president of war, right? Because our, our way of making meaning uh, when facing profoundly difficult things that end life, that end comfort, that end status quo, that end business as usual, is to recast it as a war so that then we can be victorious over it, that we can cop, right? We, we need a tidy story and that tidy story for us is militarism and that tidy story for us is not facing. And so, so I really appreciate your, 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 why you're remaining with Alex because I think it's also resistance mm. uh, in the face, of a, in the face of, a, of a culture that is working right now rapidly, as rapidly as we can, to not face endings and to declare victories. Yeah. Uh, it, it's incredibly important to be able to stand and pay attention to what is ending, uh, not just the human life uh, that is ending, but the fallacies and the lies that have uh, made some of us way more vulnerable than others in, in the facing of this end. Yes. Um, so, and how powerful to say it is finished, you know, yeah. face it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I'm always so grateful for the ways your imagination and spirit oh, of resistance and liberation inform all that you do, particularly facing biblical texts, even the uncomfortable. Oh. Um, thank you. And thank you all for joining us in the great conversation. Uh, thank you all. We'll be discussing Easter tomorrow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so join us for that so you can prepare. Thank you all so much. Thank, thank you, you, Alex. All. Thank you, More Light Press. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Liberation Wednesday. This podcast is a project of More Light Presbyterian. Tune into our Facebook page at More Light Presby to participate in the live conversation Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. Talk next week. Bye.